The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hello, friends. I'm your host, Chris Thrill. I'm a former Royal Marines commando. I've adventured for better and sometimes worse across 80 countries on all seven continents. Welcome to the Bought the T-Shirt podcast. Jeff, how are you, sir? I'm doing very well. I'm doing very well, Chris. Thank you. Oh no, your um, the the thanks is uh, the thanks is all mine, Jeff, for coming on the show. Shall we take it from the beginning? When little ones are involved, and and I had two little ones, uh, our entire family was in a horrible automobile accident, <clears throat> and uh, it was myself, my wife, and our two young boys. It's it's you know it's still difficult to talk about. It's been twenty six years, and and viewers or listeners should know that I can talk about it now, and I can compose myself. Um, the thing about this car crash is there was reports of crosswinds. There was reports of a red, you know, truck lorry driving erratically on the on the interstate. I believe what happened though is I dozed off at the wheel. I think I just just nodded off. And I swerved to the right and I overcorrected to the left and I lost control of the car. And the car began to roll, not off the road, but down the road at about uh, 75 miles per hour. I'm not sure what that is in in uh, the metric system, but it's fast. It was a high-speed rollover. And I blacked out for most of the crash. Um but when the car came to a stop, I was very conscious, very alert. The first thing I heard was my seven-year-old son, my oldest son, crying hysterically in the back seat. And, you know, as a father, I thought, I got to get to my boy. I've got to get to my boy. And that's when I realized that I could not move. I was pinned. I, I was struggling to breathe. There was the rancid uh, smell of gasoline and all the gla- uh, you know, all the glass, the broken glass. I had no idea of my injuries. Um, what had actually happened is both of my legs had been crushed. Uh, my left leg was shortly after the accident amputated above the knee. Uh, my back had been damaged and broken in two places. Ironically, not damaging the spinal column, just the vertebrae were cracked. My rib cage was damaged. My lungs were collapsing. My right arm was nearly pulled all the way off. And then the seatbelt had cut through and ruptured all my my insides. Um, I, I, was, I was unaware of all of that. I knew I was in pain. I knew I was struggling to breathe. I was fighting for consciousness. But all I knew is my son was crying. And, and that's, um, that's when I realized that no one else, no one else was crying. And um, I knew at the scene, I knew in that moment that my wife um, was gone. She was killed instantly in the accident. And my youngest son, Griffin, who was just a a toddler at the time, he was in a car seat. Um, I was aware enough to realize the car seat, the car seat had broken apart and he'd been ejected from the car. And my, my whole soul just cried out, oh, 
you know, where's my boy? Where's my little boy? And I, I knew there was a knowing that he was gone too. And, and true enough, um, both my wife and youngest son were killed instantly in the car crash. I had extensive injuries. My seven-year-old was banged up pretty good, but he was crying in the back seat and I couldn't get to him. I mean, Chris, it, it it's the darkest hell a man could ever be in. Now, I've, I've not seen or done the things you've done, my friend. Um, I, I don't know war. I don't know any of that, but I know, I know death and despair and carnage. And, and here I was in the middle of it. And, uh, that was pretty dark. Um, I, I, I felt helpless. In fact, I just, I kept, I, I, I wanted those three seconds back. Like, can't, what happened? What happened? Can't I turn back three seconds? And, uh, I began to lose consciousness. And that's when a very strange thing happened. I, I felt light come. It's like light. <laughs> it's like light rushed to me. Light surrounded me. It's almost as if this light was tangible and was was comforting me in the, this most catastrophic moment of my life. And it felt as if I was being delivered, like I was being raised above the accident scene in this light. And I, I was a little bit confused, like, what's happening? But then I realized... Oh, I can breathe. I, I, I'm not in pain. And I was I was questioning, how can I possibly be okay? And I, I believe what happened is my my soul or my spirit, whatever you want to call it, my consciousness, I, I had left my body. And here I was in this light. And And the reason I say that is I was in this light wondering, how can I be okay? What's going on? Suddenly, my wife... Who, who I knew was deceased at the scene. And I, you know, I, I don't share this to be morbid or, or, or graphic, but she, she was sleeping. She had reclined her seat back and was sleeping at the time of the accident. And so the seatbelt did not restrain her properly. And, and, and because of that, um, she had suffered, uh, she had suffered head trauma. That's what took her life. And I was aware of that at the scene of the accident. But here in this light, she was gorgeous. She was radiant. She was beautiful. And yet she was emphatic. She kept saying, you can't, you can't be here. You can't stay. And, and, and the odd thing I say, my soul, my consciousness, it felt very physical. Um, I mean, she would, she would, hit my chest and say, you can't, you can't stay. You got to go. You got to go back. And then she'd grab my shirt and pull me close. And, and she was very upset, but she was emphatic. And we, we literally had this conversation that if I stayed with her, our oldest son would be orphaned. I learned a lot about choice, Chris. I mean, there I was looking at the woman I love more than life. And yet I knew I had a little boy in the backseat of that car who was going to be okay. And we, we, we made a choice. And, and it's, it's so difficult to explain this. I mean, I'm, I'm doing the best I can with words I have. I mean, I'm saying she's grabbing my shirt and I'm saying she's crying. I mean, all of that felt very, very real. But the communication and the connection was almost beyond that. It, I mean, it was, it was, it was very profound. Uh, you know, it's profound. I, there, there aren't words, but 
we made a choice and I made a choice. And for whatever reason, she could not come back, but I could. And I, I chose to come back, if you will. This, Jeff, is obviously what's referred to as a near-death experience. Yes, yes. Uh, I know uh, that now. I didn't uh, know that at the time. Now I'm aware of that, yeah. Are we talking this is kind of like, I don't know, I'm probably using the wrong word, but like metaphorical? Or did you like literally have this experience? I mean, do, do you think you were kind, it's kind of like a dream thing or do you, do you actually think you met your wife? In my experience, it was so real. I mean, Chris, that was real. Th this is the weird, foggy dream here talking to you on, on, you know, on this call, but the, it was so super sensory real. And that's, you know, that's what I'm trying to get at. And I, you know, I don't have any concept of time in it. I, I don't know how long we were here. I mean, I, I found out later that, that people arrived at the scene. Spencer was seen to, you know, professionals arrived. I had to be extricated from the car. I was then airlifted or life flighted to the nearest level one trauma center based on my injuries. I, I was unaware of any of that. I knew I'd wrecked the car. I knew half the family was gone. I had this profound experience and, and it continued. I mean, here I am saying goodbye and, and, and making this choice and, and, you know, what I was experiencing is our thoughts were so powerful. I didn't, I didn't have to figure out, oh, how do I go back? I, when I made the choice, when I decided I'm going back, I actually found myself moving about a, a, a very busy level one trauma center. Like here I was in, in spirit, if you will, wandering about and I'm seeing the doctors and the nurses and the patients and the families of the patients. It's almost like I had this bizarre 360 view of, of everything that was going on. But my awareness was so keen. I mean, everyone I saw, I, I knew, I knew everything about them. I, I like, they were me. I was that there was this connection. I now call it a oneness. I mean, I, for instance, a nurse passed by me totally unaware of me. And in, in that moment, in that split second, I, I knew everything about her. I knew her love, her hate, her her motivations, her in fact I actually felt and this is what was profound I felt I felt the abuse that she had experienced as a child as if it were my own but in this complete empathy this in that same moment it's like wow and look at her look at her magnificence she's in a hospital serving helping you know healing people and and that was true of everyone I encountered until I finally came upon this body, this man laying on a gurney that I didn't feel anything from, which I thought was odd based on this highly connected oneness I was experiencing. So I stepped closer to look, and that's when I realized that was me. That was my body. I was looking at my own body. And I think that's when the reality hit, like, wow, I'm I'm not that. I'm I'm more alive. I'm dead but I'm more alive than I've ever felt in my life. And yet I knew I had to get back in and my body was a wreck, was a mess. So what happens happened to your son in this? Who, who took care of him? Yeah, Spencer, Spencer, only seven years old at the time, he was banged up. He had broken his wrist and he had bruised up his ribs pretty good. 
And he also was taken to the hospital. He was taken to a children's hospital. My family had been notified. And I I have an incredible family, Chris. I, I don't know mm-hmm. what people would do. I mean, my brothers were there, my mother, my father. My mother and father had divorced when I was very young, but the whole family gathered. Um, and Spencer was held overnight for observations, checked out, made sure he was okay. And then he went home with my brother, my brother and his wife. And either of my brothers would have taken him, but he has a, he had a cousin. One of my nieces was his same age. And so they decided I was unconscious, you know, but they decided it would be best he go with her and he could stay with her till I healed. And I, it was a long road. I was in the hospital for over five months. I mean, I was in ICU for <laughs> weeks and uh, I had over eight, I had, I had 18 surgeries, 18. It's like, a, that's like a round of golf. I suppose I had 18 surgeries trying to get put back together. And and I, I had profound experiences in the hospital too, um, out of body, near death, whatever you want to call them. How was it explained to Spencer that um, he, he'd lost his mother and s- sibling and how, how do kids like react to that or adapt, adapt to it? So, um, he's an incredible soul. He knew he was aware at the scene that they were gone and yet the medical staff he asked where you know where is my mom and and he he's now recounted this to me and they said well they're in the other room which was not untrue that the bodies were being held in the other room uh family was able to communicate to him what had happened and he knew it just confirmed what he knew at the tender age of 7 you know he's an incredible He's an incredible man. He's a full-grown man now. He's 33 years old. He's married. Like I said, this all happened years ago, over two decades ago. But that was, um, yeah, that was a rough thing for him. And uh, we had different experiences. I had this profound out-of-body, you know, near-death experience. He, He did not. He lost his mother. He lost his sibling. And he lost me in many ways. I was never going to be the same. I I came home in a wheelchair with one leg, with an arm in a sling and a colostomy bag handling my intestinal function. I, you know, I I was the rough and tumble dad and I would never be that again. Uh, Spencer, in so many ways, is he's the hero of this story. I mean, the way he's navigated this at the tender age, um, of seven he just we just we just recently wrote a book actually um you know some guys fish some guys work on cars or golf or whatever spencer and i wrote a book together because as he became a grown man when he fell in love and married and when he began to realize you know what i had experienced he 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 was so good through this whole thing um he said i want to reach out to little little ones i want to reach out to kids we we thought we were writing a children's book and we collaborated, but he really was the catalyst for writing this. And the book's titled, Where Are You? And that, and that was his experience. Like, I've looked in the kitchen. I've looked in the garden. I've looked in the sky. Where are you? You're nowhere to be found. And yet it's a beautiful resolve where he realizes in the end that, wow, you you exist in me. You live on through me. Therefore, you're with me all the time. And 
it's, it's, we thought we were writing a children's book. It, it, it's been embraced by everybody or anybody who misses someone. Um, and I, and I don't, I don't bring this up as a book plug, you know, I mean, it, it, well, it actually, well, it, no, it, please, please do, do, um, I know that your first book was called knowing, wasn't it? Yes. Uh, what, what was this book called? Because if this can help people, then, uh, we need to give it the credit it deserves. Yeah. Knowing is my personal memoir, but this book is called, where are you? And you can find it on Amazon. I can send you a link. But this is the collaboration between me and my son as he's now grown. He's the age now I was when the accident happened. I was 33 when the accident happened, and now he's 33. And, um, yeah, he's he's become the most compassionate person I, I know. He, you know, he came to me in his, I don't know, what is it, early adulthood. He was 19, 20 years old. You know, he's playing in a rock and roll band. He's going to school. He's in university. And he's like, Dad, I don't get it. You know, you tell these stories of this out-of-body experience of this divine connection. And he said, I got nothing. You know, he said, I've I've begged for years. He's like, if there's, you know, he, he said, maybe you're you're deceived in some crazy way and your brain was just shutting down, or you're making it all up, or if there is some higher power or bigger plan, it doesn't care about me because I begged, I begged every night as a little boy, just I just wanted to see my mom. I just wanted to feel her. I just wanted to. And he said, I got nothing. And so, you know, it, 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 that was a tumultuous thing. I mean, as the years passed on, he he came to me at one point and said, yeah, you know, I beat my knuckles bloody on that thing you call a higher power and the door never opened. But he said, what if I'm God's hands? What if I'm God's light? What if what, what if it's me? What if I what if I I'm sent to be that? And he leaned into that and did, gosh, after school programs, you know, music programs and big brothers, big sisters. These are organizations in the U.S. But anyway, and now he's written this book and allowed me to collaborate with him and and work on it with him. And it's been very healing for both of us, I think. Jeff, I've got a couple of questions I'm intrigued to know to to chat with you there. But I just wanted to ask, are, are you familiar with the I'm pretty sure you are the the phenomenon phenomenon of synchronicity. Yes, yes, I, 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 I yes, I am. There's no accidents in my life. Even yeah. the accident, I've come to realize, yeah. it's not and an all, accident. And also, <laughs> uh, I think they call it angel numbers. Uh, that when you have these numbers that pop up in your life, and for some people, it seems to be eleven, eleven. Yeah. Um, the, the alarm clock in the morning and, and fr- friends at home, it's said that that this is the way that, that high, a higher power is talking to to you. All I wanted to say is you, you said you were both 33 at, um, at that age. And it's quite funny. I had, I had quite a stressful day yesterday, Jeff, and today hasn't started off very well at all. And yet, um, I finished my run this morning and I looked, it was 33 minutes. Um, <laughs> uh, and I've never, this is the first time this is how I've never done like the angel numbers thing. Um, yeah. probably cause I was too busy to notice them. And, and then, um, I checked the, the podcast that I put up yesterday cause it needed some stuff doing to it. And it's, it's uh, like 38 minutes and 33 seconds. 
<laughs> then something else today uh, I I looked at, I can't remember what it was, and I was like, oh, my God, it's, th- you know, a random thir- uh, 33. And then you mentioned, I, I just thought I mentioned, let, let's hope that's uh, good good for both of us. I think so. I hope so. I, it's funny. I was awakened. It's been storming here where I live. I live in the Rocky Mountains uh, in the United States. I woke up yesterday morning at 3.33 a.m., which I usually get up at, you know, 5, 6, 6.30, but it was 3.33 and I woke up wide awake. <laughs> Maybe there's something to those numbers. I don't know. I don't know. Jeff, can I just, um, I, I hate to ask what is going to sound like a cliche question and it's not meant to be the way it sounds folks i i'm just what spence has been through is phenomenally traumatic for for a a very young person and i'm always interested in the psycho uh, the psychology of these kind of things jeff sociology etc i'm actually a qualified youth worker so that's you know beautiful that's um as you can see it's a young people are a passion of mine I, I'm wondering, was there ever a phase where the blame came, where blame came out? I, I, I know it wouldn't be a thing, but I'm just asking for the sake of, you know, wondering if you had to work through anything like this. It, it's not a cliche, uh, cliche question at all. And, uh, and I think that was part of the trauma. Um, he loved me. How could he blame me? Well, I blamed me. I was driving the car. You know, and I believe in part of his psyche, and I'm not going to speak for him. Um, gosh, maybe he'd come on the show and you know talk for himself. I, I think he did blame the universe, you know, the world, the the the, the accident. Um, he was so loving and good to me. He never blamed me. In fact, he wouldn't talk about the accident a lot. Um, and 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 even as a child, I you know I'd say if you need to talk about it. I, I'm I'm okay, and and he. This is very early on, like when he's eight, you know, nine, and uh, he would say, "Dad, you'll just cry, and I don't want you to cry anymore." Uh, he was very mature, you know, but yeah, I, he never blamed me. Although I was blaming myself, he never blamed me. He he had this weird. I I feel like he's an older soul. I got to be honest. I feel like he's an older, wiser soul that came in this iteration, you know, to walk with me and guide me, even in his questions, to guide me to a more stable place or a more um, peaceful state. Was there any uh, manifestations in his behavior in latter years that could be symptomatic of, 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 of unresolved trauma, can we say? Um. Not necessarily. I mean, here's here's the other thing about Spencer. I, I I I don't like talking about people if they're not in the room, but he was diagnosed early on because after the accident, yeah, he was very introvert. Um, he was diagnosed with high functioning Asperger's. It's it's but but he's he's the Asperger's, which is high functioning, brilliant in school. He was a musician, you know. And 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 I saw it. I I, I saw it. He he played the bass, the rhythms. You know, I mean, to me, to, and to him, I'm watching him like that. That's math. That's rhythm. That's structure to him. It's, and and it was interesting because he wasn't that social, and he was he was in some bands. They traveled all over the U.S. playing, and he would pack up his guitar and go sit in the bus. You know, he wasn't very social. 
but but it it worked everyone just assumed he was a brooding rock star you know i knew that in his performance he was he was healing he was releasing the pain he was screaming out the anger the fear you know the the regret and he's he's um he's an incredible individual but he didn't you know he didn't play out he didn't he didn't act up he never caused any trouble you know he he just did what he did and always supported me and and he still does i mean he's the guy i call he he's my he's the guy i call when i'm like hey son can you talk for a minute or when i need something he's right there he's an incredible individual obviously you've got the physical challenges to 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 recover from how did it affect you mentally in terms of your your behaviors i did for example i mean did you did you hit depression did you did w- w- did you turn to substances it's 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 interesting um yeah depression yeah suicidal thoughts yeah you know uh substances maybe not necessarily chemical substances but but um a, a need for external validation you know am i okay is this going to be okay um I, I mean, I think it took over a decade. I, Chris, honestly, I'm probably still healing from it. There's still probably trauma that I deal with. Um, I've I've chosen to deal with it perhaps by by writing books, by talking about it, by you know. I mean, we're we're interesting as men. For a long time, I just went in the cave. I, I wouldn't. I didn't talk about it. I wasn't going to discuss it. I never had any intention of writing a book or sharing about any of this publicly. That all came about in a very strange way. Um, you know, briefly, I mean, I, I, someone who studied near death experiences realized I had had one, wanted to talk to me. I shared what happened. They said, Hey, look, we have a group. They might want to know what happened to you. They're struggling with death. They're in late stage cancer. They've lost loved ones. I reluctantly agreed to speak to the group in attendance that evening was a person that owned a publishing company came up to me and said, you're going to write a book. And I said, no, I'm not. And yet there's many profound things happen. It's all, it's all in the memoir. I didn't even want to write a book. I didn't want to talk about it, but as I did, I realized others were healing. If I shared my experience, others may actually heal. And that became my drug. <laughs> you know, that became my coping mechanism, perhaps. But there was all kinds of things leading up to that. I was a mess. I was a mess for 10 years. I mean, and 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 within all that, I I was lucky enough to fall in love again. I remarried. We adopted two children. I mean, we rebuilt a family. We put all the structure back together, but psychologically and emotionally i never did heal chris i was really good at putting on a front that i was okay and i was that guy that had you know championed up and done my thing but i um i think there's still parts of me that i'm healing in in honesty if i'm gonna if i'm gonna be honest we ought to be honest right i think it still affects me emotionally for sure yeah absolutely um trauma will do that won't it we're all we're we're all healing and i think you can always there's always always find something whether it's through a healing ceremony or a weekend or whatever that you can always find something i i guess it's that thing that at some point you just have to say look i think everyone's dealing with something 
Yeah. <laughs> um, otherwise, you and you know you can end up doing two hundred ayahuasca ceremonies. And and my thing is, well, if that hasn't got yeah, yeah. so it's it's funny you mentioned writing. Uh, one of the most often asked author questions I get, how I've written three memoirs now, is, oh, I bet that was therapeutic or, or you know, was that, was it healing writing a book? And, um, and um, I would say what, digging up something that was like 25 years ago was one of the most painful things in mine and my family's life back then. Uh, something that naturally... I should move on and forget, and it should be a dis, you know, not even a distant, like to literally relive writing it every single day f- for two years, and then to have to talk about it, and then to have everyone go, "Oh, Chris, I read your book. I didn't know." And here's the funny thing, though, and I'm, you know, you've got to laugh um, at, at the, at, at, um, you've got to laugh at times, Jeff. Yeah, is I didn't write a book for healing that was the opposite it churned up all these emotions that I, that, that I dealt with I wrote a book because I wanted to be famous <laughs> there you go I, and I did I didn't and here's the thing when, when I say it, when I say it was healing Chris you get it you mm. get it yeah healing that I'm in a a, a bawling sobbing heap at 2 30 in the morning trying to choose the words to even tell the story and yeah digging it all up again um you know, it, it, it's funny. I, I grew up in a conservative Christian home, and I, I, I would think about this. I mean, uh, you know, Moses in the Old Testament, he's out with the the uh, the Israeli, you know, the, with the children of Israel. They've been freed from, you know, Pharaoh, and and um, and they're being bit by these fiery serpents. These snakes are biting them in the desert, mm-hmm. and and moses you know goes to the mountain or asks the divine what do i do and he's told well make something that looks like a serpent and put it on a big pole and hold it up and if the people will simply look at it they'll live and this is <laughs> it's, it, it may be a strange anecdote this is what got me through those fiery darts mm. those fiery snakes that are biting you in the ass and if we get them out and look at them put them up on a pole and we all look at it and say well there there's there it is um that you, made the healing part, but it wasn't fun. It wasn't like, oh, I'm enjoying writing this book. I really feel much better. It's like, no, this is kicking. This is kicking me in the guts every day. But by getting out and looking at it, looking at it, maybe, maybe I will heal in ways. Yes, it's funny. Uh, I get a lot of people say, Chris, look, I'm not like you. I wasn't in the military, and I haven't been traumatized like so. I don't deserve to have the label PTSD. But when I was, and I'm like, whoa, stop, stop, stop there. First off, most military people are damaged before they join the military in childhood, right? The maybe a combat experience, however unpleasant, is just, it. it's not helpful. <laughs> but, you know, you are adults. You did choose to do that job, whereas a child doesn't obviously choose the trauma. Um and also, and I know that you you know this, Jeff, it's, it's, hey, folks, there's no one trauma that trumps another. Trauma is trauma is trauma. Mine's slightly different. Uh, my story is different to Jeff's because I ended up homeless in Hong Kong, 
chronically mentally unwell from crystal meth addiction, which was my me trying to self-medicate my childhood trauma, basically. Um, but we differ, Jeff. I mean, I you know, I, I, I because when I look back, I was just a young man mucking around, doing silly stuff. Do I regret anything? No, absolutely nothing. It's it's given me a dream, perfect life. However, I haven't had to live with the loss that you have and those beautiful faces, you know, that, that, that always looking at me and, and, and I, I hate to keep talking about the guilt thing, but you know, that for me, I, I was a bit guilty. I put my family through a lot of stuff, but uh, then they also put me through a lot. So it's, it kind of worked out even Stevens in the end, but, um, so that was one thing I want to say, but also, are you familiar with the Kundalini? I, I am. Yes. I mean, I've done, yeah. I did so much work and yes, I, I, yeah. in, in my, he, and, and, and I'm not healed, but in the healing process or in the attempt to work through it, I studied a lot of stuff, but I am, yeah. I am familiar with that. Yes. It's just the, the passage you point out in the old Testament there. Um, I love the allegory. I've got this, I can just reach across. I paid quite a lot of money for these. They're not cheap. There's two volumes. They're probably about a hundred bucks each. And ah. it's a, a dictionary of the sacred languages of basically the scriptures. So I love to decode the allegory in, in, for example, old Testament. And my good friend, John St. Julian, who's got a great, great podcast. He uh, explained this one to, to us, his, his viewers. It's um, so Moses goes up on the mountain for his meditation, i.e. communing with God. I call it universe, but, you know, God, God's a, a perfectly good um, mon moniker. Um, and when he comes back down, these blooming Israelites, they've gone and built themselves a golden calf. So they're devil worshiping again. And, they're getting stung by the bad kuna, bitten by these asps, the bad kundalini. So they, they're using like Darth Vader, the dark force. Moses mm -hmm. comes down. He's like, guys, 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 what are you doing? What did it look? I've just spoke to God. He's told me, don't cover your, cover your neighbor's ox. Don't steal. Don't blast. You, you know, basically righteous <laughs> living, simple stuff. If we were, if he was living now, he'd say, folks, eat vegetables, you know, and um, his staff, i.e. righteousness. He has the good Kundalini snake. So and uh, it, I love I absolutely love this stuff, Jeff. You know, it, it's um, it's added an awful lot to my. My life, realizing there's so much out there outside of our five senses that we, that that well it's yeah. always been hit always been hidden from us and i think it's trauma is the driver for us to go and discover this beautiful kind of esoteric knowledge that that sets us free is that is that about I, right i i i'm completely aligned with you my friend i mean there's no accidents Everything happens in divine order. We always have a choice within that, unless we don't. I, I have children that have been through addiction and recovery and what that looks like. I mean, sometimes it feels as if you have no choice, but but uh, yeah, 
yeah, I, I, I'm totally aligned with, with that theory belief. To me, it's truth. To me, it's truth. That is true. You do profound work, Jeff, just a quick look at your website and folks go and visit Jeff's website. There'll be a link below and your books and your speaking and, and people vouching for you. You're clearly um, um, in, in, in the service of the Lord, as they say, or mm-hmm. in service, yeah. uh, which I think we, we, we all need to be. How did you get to that point? If at the point we've got to so far, you're full of pain, you're blaming yourself, um, you're obviously deep in, deep in grief. Did did you have to, like I did, get to a, let's just call it a rock bottom and and then make a decision or, or was your pathway different? Um, yeah, rock bottom. I, I wasn't, I never was rock bottom. I was just going in the undercurrent, you know, I never really dropped out. And and again, I had so much support. I mean, my family, my brothers, but even the guys I work with, you know, and then Tanya, my current wife comes along and, and the children. And, and, and yet there was one catalyst. I got to be honest. There was always Spencer. It's like, I'd made a deal. I had made a deal. I'd looked, I'd looked my, my beloved wife who passed in the eye. And I said, I'll go raise our boy. And that that's what kept me that's what kept me going. That was that was the commitment. That was the, you know, I'd given my word, I'll go get this done. And and there was a lot of stuff around it. You know, I've done things I'm not proud of. I've done things I feel shame over, but I did get him raised and he's a good man. And uh and that's, you know, that's that's the bottom line for me and it it probably is the only thing that kept me out of really rock bottom, but I, I hit rock bottom at times, but I don't know that it was rock bottom. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it was Chris. It felt like it, you know, stupid decisions, looking for validation, other places. Um, I guess when I say rock bottom, uh, another word for it would be epiphany, of course. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I did have this epiphany um, and I had this cheat sheet. I mean, Gosh, I'd seen the other side. I, I mean, as, as part of this near-death experience, I was, I was held by the universe, by God. I was shown that it, you know, I was shown things that, that really um, turned everything I thought I knew inside out and upside down in in a way that it's like, wow, this is. In other words, life isn't a test; it's a gift. This isn't happening to me; it's happening for me. And and I had this incredible thing happen in this out of body near death experience and that was the lifeline otherwise otherwise yes i would have been that guy strung out on the street corner wondering what what happened you know what happened um when you I, met fellow near death survivors did you find a lot of parallels in your experience i did i i was very self conscious cuz i didn't even talk about it for almost a decade and then I found out nobody does. It takes, on average, seven years to even process it. You know, um, I did find out. Wow, the universal thing was this this connection of of unconditional love. Anybody who has left the body, not anybody and everybody, but most, there's a common theme that they they have experienced this feeling, this being, this universe of unconditional love. And also this, this vibrant life, like, how am I more alive 
being out of the body than I was in the body. Um, so love and often, very often, they do have interactions with loved ones who have passed, just like I did. So, yeah, I found commonality and I found sometimes I found myself sitting in a room and I could look at somebody and think they've had one, they've had one, they've had one. And I, I, I've come to learn they're not that uncommon. It's not that uncommon to have some type of out of body, near death or mystical experience. One last thing. Wow, is it ever close to sometimes hitting rock bottom? I think sometimes the trauma, whether that's emotional or physical, uh, seems to be the catalyst for this awakening, if you will. Yes, so love, the highest form of vibration, isn't it? Or frequency. Yes. It's fascinating. It's took took me a, a long time to get there. Took me till I was about... 48 before i started to to listen to john st julian who i'm proud to call friend of mine in fact when i ran across the desert the sahara recently i raised money for john's children's uh, school in africa because just as a thank you really for all he's given me and but all through my life i felt that love jeff i don't hate people even when i was young i felt quite sorry for people not not in a patronizing way i i empathized with people's hardship and it, it and it would upset me as a kid that that you know this poor kid here he hasn't got enough money to buy the toy that he wants and his mum's like watching the pennies and 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 i wish i could just like give him some money to get what he wants and it's funny they're now using um mdma or or well, yes, you know, uh, ecstasy in, in treatments mm -hmm. with people because it's the way that it works in the brain is it gets rid of all the hate and it just lets you experience pure love for a moment. And it has, I mean, I went through the dance era generation anyway, so I, you know, I I paid for my own therapy <laughs> and danced a lot. Um, but, you know, the person that's gone through that experience realizes it's it's all about love that's it that's that's our mission on earth is to realize this do you were you able to like anchor into this near death experience and this beautiful all consuming love that you felt and then in latter years go you know that was a lesson for me that's telling me how life should be that's 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 giving me my moral values and my actions um that that decodes this crazy thing called society which is mental um um makes no sense at all human beings just out to destroy each other all the time and destroy the planet with it was uh, am I, uh, again am i in the right area yes yes and it was it was very interesting cuz i i was brought up with right and wrong. I mean, my, my father's a retired lieutenant colonel in the army and he, you know, regular army. I mean, he, you know, it was like a drill sergeant at home and this is right and this is wrong and, and, and all that stuff. When I experienced this unconditional love and, and suddenly it was like, wow, you mean there's nothing but love and everything I put judgments on as right or wrong may not be. And that, that was confusing. I mean, coming back into the world and thinking, you mean nothing's wrong? <laughs> it's all just an experience 
that I had to grapple with uh, a little bit, but this, 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 and love is the word. I mean, we speak the same language, English love it's, but it's the feeling behind that word of what that, I mean, it means so many different things, but that unconditional divine love is the most powerful force in the universe. And, and I, I, here's what I struggle with. It's so easy for me to love other people. I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll spend an hour with you on this podcast and I'll think I love him. He's awesome. I, I love that guy looking in the mirror and loving myself. You know, that's the, that's the one that's, that's the big, that's the big carrot is do I see the divinity within myself as I see it in other people? And um, there are days I do. And those are my joyful days. And there's days I don't. And that's when I'm not spot on, you know? I think the spiritual battle, though, is recognizing that we have light and darkness in us, isn't it? And that darkness does come out because yes. we're human. We descend, we lower ourselves into the five senses and the, the you know, the lower sure. chakras or, or animal self, as, as spiritualists call it. And we, we, you know, we can be rude to people. We can get tempted. Um and the battle is recognizing that and then getting back on the horse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and, and I mean, and that's, that's, the, you know, that's the crazy thing. Cause yeah, we're like that. And then the judgment, you know, well, I, I'm, I'm so bad. I'm so wrong. How could I, you know, and yet the reality in, in, in and I mentioned in my near death experience and we didn't get into that. I was held in the arms of the divine. And I realized that I was beloved. I was as beloved as the, that little griffin, the child I lost. I was holding him on the other realm and held in the arms of God, if you will, the universe, the divine, the creator, whatever you want to call it. And I realized, wow, if that's true of me, we are all that beloved. We are all that divine. We are all that perfect, even in our even in our mistakes. I mean, kids stumble, they slobber, they bump their head, they're learning to walk. And my experience was the entire universe is saying, look at my children, they're learning to walk, you know, they're learning to walk. There's a great learning point here for all of all of us. And this is when you look at the way the world's going with all this digital control, digital passports, paying with digital money, having everything on it, you know, Eventually, it's going to be a chip that's got all your information and, and, and you know, very. We, we need to stand up to this because what it's doing is stealing our children's divinity from them. And it's telling them they're just a machine. They're just they're just there to be processed and to say yes. And this is the this is your know, divinity life changes when you recognize you are an equal part of this big beautiful let's call it an experiment and you have every right to be here we're all equal we're all human we all make mistakes but we're all perfect no matter what we may look like what we're all we're, we're manifestation of 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 god with god experiencing himself in these the uh these these bodies all oh, my autofocus just came on this is what children need to be taught in schools instead of this brainwashing indoctrination into exams and tick boxes and competing with with other people and da -da 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 and entering this you know 
training yourself up to go and work in a call center for your whole life or a factory and then you clock in and then you've got your chip for buying your food if if they let you buy food because maybe you've you've gone against the system it, it I, <laughs> it's the divinity isn't it jeff it's the divinity oh, yeah. that they're not being taught I'm, I'm sitting here shaking my head i'm like amen 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 i mean i and, and i'll share this briefly this this was i'm out of the body i'm having this near-death experience i'm in the other realms i'm in the arms of the creator and I'm holding my child who has passed, God, if you will, says to me, what's communicated to me is, I want you to exercise your will. Now, Chris, this is what I know. The spirit is free. I think that's the elation when people are free from the body, these near-death experiencers. Here's God saying, I want you to exercise your will. And in my, in my upbringing, I'm like, oh, no, no, it's your will be done. In other words, this, you tell me what to do. And I, and I knew I could be angry at God my whole life. I knew I could be angry at myself, but I was given this other option. And I was told that you can give your son. You can exercise your will and you can give your son and hand him over in, in your free will. And and I, I I questioned that. Even though I'm having this experience, I'm like, but I thought it was God's will. And and what I was told is God said, My will is your will. That's how much you're loved. My will is that you have free will, that you get to choose, that the spirit is free to choose and be. And when you start touching on all this control and all these things that go on, um it's 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 contrary to our divine nature as, as, as eternal beings, being human, having a human experience, but yeah, we're free. And, and, and in my experience, and I, I, I don't want to sound like a preacher, but in my experience, God's will was that we have free will. That was his will. <laughs> and, and, you know, everybody's looking for rules and regulations and, 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 and barricades to keep everything boxed in. And, and that was not my experience at all. There's no need for rules, is there? We're brought up with enlightenment because you don't need rules because you wouldn't behave like that. Yeah. Well, and that, this is why when someone like Jesus shows up, we spoke of Moses. He kind of said, yeah, that's all the thou shalls and thou shalts, you know, and he said a new commandment I give that you love each other. Can mm. you just not love each if, if you love each other, you're not going to steal and you're not going to lie and you're not going to do all these things. If there's love, it it conquers everything. When you got approached to write your, your first book, was that the sort of start of your formulating these opinions or were you sort of, did you have these um, as a young, young man? And no, I'm I, yeah, I, I had, I had opinions, but my opinions all changed and I didn't speak about them. Writing the book was an opportunity to articulate them. And here again, I don't, I, I tell everyone, I, I don't have your answers. I don't have all the answers. I have my answers and that works for me, but you might have a complete different answer and, and I get to honor that and walk with you. But, but yeah, I, I, I didn't formulate these. They were learned and formulated, but not for the book. The book was just a tool to write them down, I guess. And I, I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think anybody would buy the book. I, I thought, well, my mom will buy a copy. Who cares? You know, I had no idea it would have any success. That was never on my radar. I, 
I did it because spirit whispered to me, share your experience and other people will heal. And, uh, you know, that that was interesting. The first letter that came from the publishing company, it was in their letterhead. And I, and I worried about that too, Chris. I'm like, gosh, can I accept a royalty check based on a book that is based on the experience that took half my family and I was driving the car? Am I that guy? But the, you know, the, the, the envelope came and I thought, oh, is it a royalty check? I opened up the envelope from the publisher and inside was a little three by five card. Um, and I turned it over and it was jail mail. This is what they do in the United States to monitor all the inmates jail. They, they have to write it on a three by five exposed card. And the only address he had was the publisher's address on the back of the book. I turned this thing over and here's this guy, you know, and he's saying, I lost my family too. Not like you did. They're still alive. They've disowned me. I did horrible things. I'm in prison. I'm doing my time for it. But I read your book and I realized that there is love and that love is real and that I can walk out of here way different than I was when I came in. And, you know, and and, and I'm saying, wow, well, that, that's the payoff. That's the royalty. It was never about selling a book. It was about if sharing my experience allows others to see the divinity within themselves and maybe because of what they did, not in spite of it. You're, Chris, you're the man you are because of what you've been through and the choice you've made, not, not, not in spite of them. That's created the man that's in front of me today that, that's courageous and brave and honest and true. Yeah, we've got a long way to go in society, haven't we? Because my thing, Jeff, and I bet you, I bet you feel the same way. I'm, I'm almost blind to how far I've come and how developed my mind's become and how my under develop my understanding has become. And I forget that, you know, a lot of people out there, I'm not going to put a statistic on it because I don't want to appear rude, but they really only have that elementary education from school. Mm. And then they've gone into the job and, and, started to watch tv and that's it the, the the development and the reason i say this is you know so many people say oh chris i'm you know you've really turned it around and and as if that like my life experience i mean i've had lots of life experiences but as if having a bad experience in life is something you should be ashamed of or that you you know, oh, and I kind of get it. I, I, I know a lot of people are trying to be kind and nice and that, that I, I don't mean that that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is those people that genuinely think, uh, you know, oh, it's great. You sorted your life out and you put all that nonsense behind you. And I'm like, no, my life is paradise because of all that nonsense. And when I look at myself and my beautiful family and the fact that I wake up every day I won't say there aren't challenges. Of course, there's challenges, but I know whenever I face that challenge, I'm facing it in paradise. I don't care what anyone says. I live in paradise, permanent, full stop, every single moment of every day. And if I'm not feeling it, I have to have a word with myself and say, wait, come on, do a bit, do a bit of meditation, get that connection. Ah, right. Yeah, there we go. And, but it's so funny that, 
the indoctrination in society that genuinely I think people think the best way to go through life is without any ne- what what they would perceive as negative experiences. Whereas I say, no, they're experiences. And if I live in paradise, then doesn't that mean I've made all the right decisions in life? <laughs> you know, I, it's I've all made- a, yeah, it, it, it's all a, heaven's right here if we choose to experience it that way, right? I mean, there's nowhere to go and nothing to become. Uh, it, it's to embrace the divinity that's around us. I mean, we're we're in the garden if we choose to be in the garden and and we're not if we don't right you know do you need to go through trauma to wake up to the reality that life is a sham and it's not real and it's not true and most of what you're taught well i i say everything that you're taught is a lie everything's a lie the diet's a lie the banking system's a lie the the um the, the media is a massive lie um uh, you know, it, 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 this, the education system is 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 a lie. Every and I feel so fortunate to have woken up to it. But Jeff, do you think that you have to go through trauma to wake up to it? Because, and again, I mean no disrespect, but we had this thing in this country. It was all a bit silly. It was dur- during a certain. Uh, challenging period let's just call it Uh, it might be referring to the last three years folks and like everyone went out on their doorstep and they clapped they clapped the nurses and again i mean no disrespect but i'm i i looked at the behavior It, it it's called um it's referred to in psychology as mass formation psychosis brainwashing basically and I thought you good people, you're never going to know. You're never going to know this beauty that I know this higher state of con. I'm uh, not, not, not judging. They could be like, Chris, I don't want to know. I'm happy in my, you know, and, and great. Absolutely fine. But my point is if I was to go, oh, I mean, you know, <laughs> If I was to go over to my neighbor and say, look, do you know that there's a lot more going on here? You're kind of living with this veil in front of your face. And and if you get it's that was the Plato's cave, they call it, don't they? You're, you're 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 being dictated to by the shadows on the wall. If you actually went out the cave, you'd realize the shadows are nothing. They're just like blades of grass blowing in the sun. It's not these big demons out there to scare you. And Again, I, it's a difficult conversation to have, Jeffrey, without sounding really patron. I probably am a bit patronizing, but no, no, you're you're not. And I mean, and here again, I you know we choose our words, right? Because mm. I never bought into that. I I trusted what I knew here and what I felt here. Yes, and, and I, I I yeah, I I didn't I didn't listen to the experts. I didn't listen to the media. I didn't listen to society. I didn't listen to anything except that voice yeah. within my heart and, 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 and it and, led me in ways I'm very, very um, grateful for. It's like, I, I didn't do the things that everybody was supposed to do and mandated to do. Mm. And I was in a, I, I was in a place lucky enough that, 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 that was honored and said, well, 
You're and crazy. You, You're a you, nuthead, you know, but, but okay. Yeah. You, Jeff, that's because you know when a narrative is delivered without the love and without the divine, it, it's bogus. You know, yeah, they are li- they are lying to you. Yeah, yeah exactly. This is the thing, you know, I chat to people about a lot of subjects and about a lot of beliefs and and not, I mean, sound like I sound like I'm in pain. I, 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 it's just the way of the world. It just doesn't bother me at all, but it's just interesting that you can't explain to someone what having your third eye open means. And when the media is telling you, you're just, no, it's not, it's, it's, I sense it. I, 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 I smell the lie. I see the person delivering it, that they're very low down on the, you know, on the vibratory scale. They haven't reached that frequency of love. They're nowhere near it. They're going to continue to live in their ego and say whatever they're paid to say, because to them, that's making them the big, the big, the big I am not realizing that it's not until you get rid of all that nonsense that you actually start to. Yes. Fascinating. What Jeff, sorry, let's, let's, put the focus back on you. So when you're being invited to speak or maybe, you know, counsel someone, therapy, whatever, what, what are you delivering? What, what, you know, as my friend once put it, what's your bag? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I, 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 I'm delivering love and I'm doing less of that. Chris, I, I have moved to the mountains. I'm back on the farm. My son, Spencer, and his wife bought a horse. We've got some sheep and some chickens. And I, 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 I'm, I'm really reclusing into a simpler life. But when I do go do an event or do a speech or, or do a podcast, my intention, my, my, my intention is that I deliver love, that I deliver love that somehow someone will see the divinity within themselves and rise up. When I was in those lofty realms, if you will, when I was out of the body, I was only asked one question. You know, there was no judgment. There was no judgment. There was no comparison. I was asked, though, I was asked, to what degree have you learned to love? And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm peeling the layers on that. I've learned to love my neighbor. I've learned to love a stranger. I, I, I'm even leaning into loving my enemies. Right now, I'm working on loving myself. And, uh, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, if I don't love myself, no wonder I'm at war with my neighbor. Right. But um, but yeah, I'm I'm bringing love. I'm bringing a message of love and divinity. And that's that's really the bottom line. Jeff, on that note, um, I think we'll bring this to a close for this uh, episode. As I say to all my guests, you're, you're more than welcome to come back on the show. In fact, let's. Let's perhaps do a live show at some point and we'll field some questions from the from our friends out there because I I so many people are going to get so much from this. Um yeah. a message of hope, a message that there is life after bereavement. Um I had a situation I'm quite proud of actually. So I've I've always said um to my son you know, we, we can't die. We just change form. Yeah. You know, and then we become another beautiful part of the universe. Some of your molecules will be in that bird flying over. Some of them will be in the river flowing down there and, and 
you know, and 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 so on. And and uh, we were outside. We were laying some concrete, or we were repairing our steps out the front of the house. And uh, my son was only about five at the time, and he had a his little trowel, and he was, he was quite a good concrete layer. That stuff, I love that stuff. Yeah. yeah. And as we were there side by side on this step, this leaf leaf blew across, and he just looked at me and went, "Oh, Daddy, there goes Granddad." Hmm. And I just thought that was so beautiful, you know. From so, the mouth of babes. yeah, from yes. the mouth. Of, and he knew it. He felt it, and he said it. Yes. That's, yeah. Jeff, listen. Stay on the line, just so I can thank you properly when I push the record button off. But um, I'm so glad we navigated a chat with love, light, and a bit of laughter that otherwise I think would have just see me descend into tears which i almost was just reading the first bit of your book which everyone can do on amazon by the way folks um unbelievable to to go through that just my worst nightmare my only nightmare my only one i all the rest i don't care about you know shoot me today i've had a good life does literally doesn't not afraid of anything anything or anyone but but i am i i'm not quite there with my spirituality uh with that one so thank you so much for your um your humanness jeff um please take all the love from our podcast with you for yourself uh for spencer uh for the rest of your family and and also your um your congregation out there if we can call them that just friends just friends yes they're just friends yeah yes and like i say come 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 back on the show we'll have to get that organized i would love Um, that friends at home we'll put the links below for jeff's book jeff's website how to catch up with him etc 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 if you could please do us a favor and like and subscribe if you got something out of this click the notification bell if you can support our Patreon, it's only £1.99 a month. You get VIP tickets to all my events then. You don't pay for that. It'd be beautiful to see you. Uh, I've said enough. Set to say much, much love. Look after yourselves and we will see you soon. Friends, thank you for listening to the Bought the T-Shirt podcast. Please like, subscribe and share. And don't forget to follow me on social media. Username... Chris Thrall. Instagram, Chris.Thrall. Thank you.